Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptors Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Share our show. Make sure you share the right link to our show. I mean, your host, Will Lou. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Oh, we're going to tee up Raptors Knicks this weekend in a way different way than I expected. Oh, man, I can't do the show uh, right now. Everyone's happy. Everyone's, uh, everyone's when, happy. When everyone's happy, everyone's happy. Yeah. Uh, what's going Shout on? Shout out man? to our guy, Fred Katz. Hey, Fred uh, Katz, Raptors bro. Knicks tomorrow. We're going to have a totally different set of questions for you the next time yeah. you're on the show. Man. I have to book you Monday unless uh, you're predisposed at 2 p.m. Um, Blake, <laughs> how are you doing, man? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right, man. Uh, What's the can we can we at least hint at the context here? No, I can't no? do Fred like that. This is this is absolutely one of those like I'm sorry it's unprofessional to start uh, the show laughing about something we're not going to talk about. This is a purely there are moments that happen online where it, it exists forever as a if you know you know thing, and that's what this one's going to be. That's uh, that's the best I could say about it. Yeah, DM me for for the context here. Yeah, uh, and and for the link. <laughs> All right, we're going to get Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. There was a game track. last night, uh, the first yeah. game. I guess the second game of the post-Pascal era, yeah. but the first one, you know, post saying goodbye to Pascal. We right, had a Players' right. Tribune last night. We had a Maasai press conference yesterday that we didn't fully get the breakdown yet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. It was a heavy day yesterday, man. It was a very heavy day yesterday. Uh, for Even Alex was it. back at the at the barn. Uh, yeah, Alex was back, but for an entirely different reason, just to play babysitter um, for his his nephew. I tell you, man, when I did babysitting in high school and stuff, I didn't get to go to Raptors games for it. Well, yeah. Uh, he he also left before the game started because he's like, I, I've seen enough Raptors games. <laughs> he, he missed the Bruce Brown game. <laughs> he did miss the Bruce Brown game. So we're going to talk about Bruce Brown's debut, as you mentioned. Uh, Raptors played the Bulls last night. This is where we're going to start. Um, so I just had a, a rolling list of topics here. I'm going to start with the most positive one. Scotty Barnes, take over performance. Scotty, once again. Back-to-back nights, excellent in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, he made two turnovers at the end there, and I think he missed a free throw. But honestly, the only reason the Raptors are in the game because Scotty had 31 points, seven rebounds, six assists, three blocks, three steals. And in the fourth quarter specifically, nine points, including six free throw attempts, uh, three rebounds, three assists, a steal, two blocks, lots of stops, lots of two-way sequences. Scotty Barnes, six over in the fourth quarter again. Yeah, I mean, this is what you're. This is what people have been hoping to see for a while now. It's something we've got a long glimpse at uh, a handful of times this year, right? Like, like fourth quarter, Scotty Barnes is a thing. He's fifth in the in- entire NBA in fourth quarter scoring. This has been a thing all year, and it's now. There's not even a question of who you want to run your offense through at the end of a game, who you want to have the most impact on the game, and not only want who you need to have the most impact on the game. Like Scotty Barnes is unquestionably this team's best player mm-hmm. now, and it's going to run through him. And I, I think, you know, look, that was the second night of a back-to-back two pretty emotionally charged games. Maybe not the same minutes load the night before, just because they had the game so in hand so early. We got Javon Freeman Liberties. Uh, Dave, by the way, yesterday we did not even, I don't think we even mentioned the game from the night before, oh, right? It yeah, was, yeah. Um, I, you know what Sira did, actually? Shout yeah. out to Sira Sohi for coming on the program. Yeah, she uh, and, and getting sad with us with the playlists off air after. Yeah. Um, Javon Freeman Liberty did make his NBA debut and get his first NBA bucket in that game. Hey, congrats to him. Um, that was nice. But so this is, you know, second half of an emotionally charged back-to-back. You wonder, is this team going to have it? Is, you know, is Bruce Brown going to have it? He's been, he mm. had to go Sacramento to Indy to Toronto all over the course of less than 24 hours. That's the worst, leading that's into the this worst game. layover ever. Man. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Um, you know, is Scotty going to have it? Because obviously these are positives for Scotty. Yeah. He talked about it a little bit after the game. Um, but 
this is a big shift in responsibility. Even if you were the co-guy and we all knew you'd be the guy eventually, you being the guy now and everyone, like it doesn't work exactly like this, but in that huddle with 17 seconds left and, and a two possession game or whatever, like whether implicitly or explicitly, everyone on that team is looking at you. You're the guy. You're you're the person whose shoulders this now rests on. And I know that this team the rest of the year isn't going to be evaluated by wins and losses necessarily. This is obviously a longer-term approach now. But everyone's going to be looking at Scotty Barnes and to see what he can do for this team in those big spots. Mm. Two nights in a row, he really came up in those spots. And I know there were a couple mistakes last night. It's going to happen. It happens, He's a 22-year-old yeah. in his third season, and even the very best players in the league, when like the, the closeout of games, there's yep. a reason everyone around the league is inefficient, and someone like Dame has built an entire reputation off not being inefficient in those moments because defense is locked in. It's really hard to execute in those situations, and Scotty was a huge difference maker uh, two nights in a row in that exact same situation. One, obviously, where they're playing ahead and trying to keep the heat from run, from getting back in the game, and then last night where they were down as much as 14. In that game, they really did the late third quarter part. You know, they kind of hung around in a, in a way that it seemed like maybe they weren't going to. Uh, when that lead swelled up, they had to take a timeout with about two and a half, three minutes left in the third. And then from then on, it was it was pretty much all Scotty the rest of the way, which is absolutely great to see. We're going to see more of it the rest of the way. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty encouraging. Um, and, and I think it's notable too that this wasn't a game where they were like. Yo, Scotty, here's the ball. Here's fifty offensive possessions. Don't worry about defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was also guarding Demar. And, and Vucevic at times. And, yeah. and, like, this was – he didn't have the best defensive game until he locked in late, mm-hmm. but he was – this is a lot, and he's doing pretty well with it so far. Yeah. No, I, it feels like the approach right now, development-wise, is throw as much at him as you can and see how much of it he can handle. And, you know, what I enjoyed about the, the game yesterday is just he scored in a variety of ways. As a roller, as a, a driver of the ball, um, a little bit of shooting as well. Um, you know, he had a big three late shot clock in the end of the third quarter there, as you mentioned, while the Bulls were pulling ahead. And that kind of kept the Raptors in close. Um, and then it was also the the two-way sequences that he was able to make because so many times in the fourth quarter, Raptors were just having a, an issue all night guarding the paint. Um, Tamar puts a lot of pressure on you in the paint. They did a good job running Kobe White off the three-point line. He just kept getting downhill to the paint. Kobe White scored, I think, nine twos. Yesterday, Oof. really impressive. He's turned into such a cool player. Oh, he's awesome, man. I mean, if there was any window at all to get Kobe White, the Raptors have missed it or other teams have missed it, but it would have been a great time to buy in on that guy. Um, you know, Vucevic has the size mismatch pretty much against everybody, except for Jonte, the, the T-shirt poppy. Um, he's been excellent t-shirt once poppy. again. And um, even Drummond, I thought, was able to, you know, put some size in the middle. So, By the way, sorry, we got to we have to give a moment for talking about Scotty and uh-huh. Drummond comes up. Oh yeah. You yeah. saw the replay, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The like so Scotty in transition had Andre Drummond backing up mm-hmm. at one point, like kind of on his heels. And Scotty scores on him and one, right? And one. Yep. And one. And then as Scotty's walking the free throw line, he did like a zombie walk, like mocking <laughs> Drummond's waddle? walk. Yeah. It was yeah. really because like obviously Drummond is peak Andre Drummond was not like the most fleet of foot player, but now it's like yeah, let me get my big body in the way. And Another Scotty, t-shirt poppy, by yeah, the way. Scotty mocking him a little bit with the the kind of <laughs> yeah, Yeti yeah. walk was really funny. No, that was uh, honestly like, and um, I know uh, Samson asked him about it after the game of like, oh, he uh, did, he did, yeah, he oh. did. Samson <laughs> asked uh, Scotty about it after the game. He's like, did you do that because his nickname is Big Penguin? And he's like, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he just did it because he felt like because he walks like a penguin a little bit, I guess. But yeah. um, that's a sick nickname, Big Penguin. Yeah, Penguin yeah. Poppy. <laughs> 
a lot of poppies in this one. Yeah. That's my version of Mamba. Um, and yeah, but anyway, I, I just think that like Scotty scored in a variety of ways. Defensively, they needed him to like take it to another level. I felt like he was somehow guarding the Mar, but then also double teaming in the paint and then getting the rebound. There's one play where he had to like rotate over to get the stop on DeMar's initial drive, then jump with Drummond to, you know, win the loose ball twice, finally come up with the loose ball, then push it up the court and then give and go to RJ for a dunk. It's like the amount of energy he was expending uh, just trying to lead the group was really impressive. And, you know, the closing games part, because that's something that will come up more and more. I think that's the stat now is like 11 times, the, or the Raptors are like 0-11 with like, you know, Scotty leading the scoring since like the, the San Antonio game where he took over against Wemby. Um, closing the game is such a hard step to get to learning how to do that. I mean, it's something that like Pascal, for example, really, really struggled at getting over that hump. Yeah, the run it back year, even pre-bubble, mm. that was a criticism of him, right? Like, yeah. he he ha- was having trouble closing out games, and they they found it a little bit midway through that season because they would just spam Pascal Kyle big, small pick-and-rolls yeah, yeah. in late-game situations, and then that kind of went away. And then mm-hmm. even that that next year where they won, what, 48, 49 games, yeah. that was a, a criticism, and, and there was a question of, like, hey, what should the late-game offense look like? It's a really hard step to take. Um, I, I don't put that much into, like, oh, they're O and whatever with Scotty's leading mm-hmm. scorer. First of all, who your leading scorer is, you know, it tells you, look, most often it's going to be your best player and your best scorer, mm-hmm. but it's also context of the game, right? Like, yeah. was Scotty the best scorer because Scotty had going that day? Was Scotty the best scorer because a couple threes randomly dropped? Was Scotty mm-hmm. the best scorer because the defense was focused on Pascal mm-hmm. and that shifted the way things were flowing? Did Scotty just have the best matchup? Exactly. It's not always necessarily, hey, Scotty took the most shots and took over the game. So they, like, like, the correlation there is certainly not causation. That no, Scotty exactly. shooting more is leading to losses. I think if anything, it's probably Scotty is trying to take on a bigger scoring load when the team is losing and needs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I felt very much like that uh, yesterday, or like that, for example, when they lost to you know games earlier in the year, like the Utah game in Toronto. Same kind of deal. Um, By the way, they just keep winning. Yeah, I mean, Utah Jazz, you know, they got lightning in the bottle kind of thing. Like, I, I suppose there's a small bit of me that I'm still holding out hope that Toronto gets that with this new group because you're always hoping for it all to click together and go on a winning streak. Mm-hmm. But, like, by the real, way, I want to circle yeah. back to that point in the next segment when we're talking about Masai takeaways because okay. I've been getting a lot of questions about the draft pick conveying mm-hmm. this year or, or versus future years. So we'll come, we'll come back to that. Okay, and yeah. the Jazz are an interesting kind of example. The Jazz are also, I think they're a team we're going to talk about because, look, trade deadline wise, the big stuff's done. The next three weeks, the Raptors are going to make moves still. Yeah. But we're, we'll get to do kind of more NBA-wide trade deadline stuff <laughs> because, uh, yeah, guess what? The Raptors barely play next week, and uh, uh-huh. the two biggest trades are done. Like, Chris Boucher is going to have a new home at some point. I, I could tell you with fairly in fairly certain terms that mm. that's being explored and will probably happen by February 8th. But Aggregated. Like, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna get to do some. Hey, well, what should the price be for Lowry Markin, and and how would he fit on the Thunder yeah, kind yeah. of stuff? Anyway, sorry, I keep derailing no, us, no, but it's all this good. Is, we, we've had uh, several days in a row of not getting to do around the NBA or even in game analysis stuff. We're not uh, talking about anything other than trade Pascal. The, we had the like ADHD's a, hidden. Today. We, had a, we had a daily trade Pascal thing, and then the last week has just been all about trade Pascal and him actually getting dealt. Um, by the way, so, already already starting to get the questions of should they sign Pascal in the offseason? <laughs> uh, you know. It would be it'd be hilarious. I guess we got three extra picks out of it. Um, Emmanuel, quickly, though, quiet night last night. Yeah, so what did you make of this? Because I thought in the first half it was like I didn't really – I just didn't really notice 
him that much, which has been pretty rare since he arrived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then I look at the box score at halftime. I'm like, okay, that the, you know that matches what I was watching. I, I really didn't see him that much. And then the second half, I thought it wasn't even – I didn't notice. I thought he was just bad in the second half. Yeah. Like, I think this was the worst game he's played since he came over. Um, that Bulls team is – interesting to play against they're better defensively in the half court than you might think yeah. given the individual personnel they obviously have Caruso but the rest of it is kind of just like let's use positioning and smart fundamentals and you know size but not traditional rim protection to kind of keep you out of your spots but what what did you make of him having first the kind of invisible one and then a rough one as the game went on um he's been up and down a little bit for me I think, but I did think last night was probably his worst game. I, I Is agree. that fair? I agree. It was an it was an ineffective game. I, I didn't think the game against Utah, he played particularly well either. But like nobody played well yeah. in Utah, um, the last game of the road trip type of deal. But um, yeah, I think for me, I feel like he's still trying to find that right balance. When is he going to score? When is he going to sort of just take over? How aggressive can he be with the offense when he's also trying to be the the, the, the lead playmaker and things like that? So. Um, I find that that's sort of, you know, something where you see him flow almost in and out of games based on that thing. Um, I also think that for him, like, one of the inconsistencies with him is he hasn't been able to score in the paint well or basically inside the arc. So since coming to the Raptors, Emmanuel quickly shooting 45% from three. Now, last night he had a bit of an off night. If he knocked down a couple more threes, you know, does this change the game? Probably it does. He's a really good shooter. We've all seen that. Um, He's shooting 40% on twos so far. For the Raptors, and um, that's down from 51% when he was with the Knicks. At little context here, if we yeah. split that into kind of, you know, if we go from threes and twos to four-level score, the, mm-hmm. the four kind of different areas, the second box, as David Thorpe likes to call it. The second um, box. Look, Emmanuel quickly has not yeah. at any point okay. been a good scorer. That's what Fred Castle's looking up. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. All right, we we're gonna have to take a break early because I don't I don't know how I'm coming back from that. Right, um, look, so Emmanuel quickly, and this is the Tyrese Maxey comparisons were fun, but where I push back on them a little bit is Tyrese Maxey lives at the rim. Yeah. And Emmanuel quickly does not get to the rim at a very good rate. In fact, among combo guards, it's like it's constantly like 20th percentile or lower. He just doesn't mm. get there a bunch. Okay. He prefers instead to take that, floater. you know, use that a defense is dropping back against him or worried about the three, like use that extra space to take the floater range. So in that kind of four to 14 foot range. So if you think outside the restricted area, maybe up to the elbows kind of range, he takes a ton of shots from there. And the last two years in New York, he shot over 50% on them. Mm-hmm. That's like Etwan Moore territory yeah, of yeah. being good on those. But he has barely hit them as a rally. He's at 38% in that range. So I think, you know, that's a that's a bucket a game probably given his shot diet that you're missing based on the percentages. But I guess I think more so than the percentages hit on the floaters is if Emmanuel quickly is going to reach the upside that we think he can reach those floater shots are going to have to turn into rim shots more mm-hmm. often. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, well, I think... So it's been 10 games of watching him with the Raptors. Yeah. Um, I can't remember that many instances where he's getting downhill and then he, like, gnashes the pick and roll. Or he, like, just dribbles, keeps his dribble alive through the paint and comes out the other side. And that's but, it stands out because Dennis does it so often. It does, right? And I think on the on the upside of that is he doesn't take that many dribbles. So when he's attacking downhill, he's taking one, two dribbles, and then he's going up into that shot. Sometimes he banks it in. He had an and one last night that was from a really tight angle. That was impressive. There's clearly touch there, and he can, you know, um, shoot the floaters with a decent uh, ability as well. I think he's just, you know, a bit of, a, a bit unlucky with that. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, there's probably certain instances where it's like instead of taking that contested shot, you keep the dribble alive, you keep scrambling the defense, and then 
you maybe see an opportunity on the other side of the basket or you 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 know pull defenses out of position and then you swing the ball kind of thing. So I don't think he's overshooting. I think actually, if anything, he should be taking more threes. If you're shooting 45% from three, I want to see more than six attempts per game. Yeah. Like I want to see 10 attempts per game from him. It's one of those things, right, where it's like... um basically yeah, it's it's we use this in ba- in baseball where like if your stolen base percentage is too high i that tells me that you are not attempting it at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you should yeah. be pushing if you're if you're hitting 45% on threes maybe it's a hot streak but if it's only on six attempts a game it's probably because you're being too safe with your yeah, shot diet yeah, yeah. and you have opportunity to take a couple more exactly like do what Kyle kind of always did where it's like he like just sometimes you just walk up and just like pull up for the three like for fun, the, the pull-up three in transition. You don't see that as much. Kobe White had the most obscene pull-up three in transition yesterday where yeah. he came down the right wing, like fake like he was going to pass, snaked through the middle, and then stepped back on the mm-hmm. left side, and still no one had caught up to him. He missed the three, but Vooch got the offensive rebound. Yeah. It was the most audacious pull-up yeah. three in transition I've ever seen. I'm okay with quickly taking that. Uh, totally, especially for, for the skill set uh, for this specific team. Um, but I, I would like to see him improve. Um, from inside the arc, that's all. And uh, the rest of it, I, I don't I don't think it's, you know, something too much to be concerned about. Um, we saw Bruce Brown make his debut as mm-hmm. well. Bruce Brown, let's take us through his itinerary for the day. Yeah, so he told us that uh, he finds out about the trade on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. He obviously, it takes a little bit to get a flight from, so Indiana was in Sacramento. They played the Kings last night. Pascal didn't debut, but we got to see the the social media content and stuff like that, him joining, uh, joining the Pacers, being at their facility and things like that. So uh, Pascal, by the way, is expected to debut tonight against the Portland Trailblazers, and Sportsnet has picked up that game. Oh, nice. So Pacers-Blazers at 10 p.m. tonight is on Sportsnet. Oh, wow. Uh, if you want to check out Pascal's, poten- it's not 1,000% confirmed yet, but everyone seems to think he'll debut tonight. That might be the first time the Pacers are not on League Pass. <laughs> League Pass should just be called the Indiana Pacers Pass. Like, yeah. You could see every Pacers But look, you can. There. there's upside from that. That was the Thunder last year. The Thunder yeah. were the no, league pass every, darlings. Every year there's one yeah. team. Yeah, exactly. Indiana's definitely that. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Um, uh, okay, so Bruce Brown uh, didn't get back to Indiana until 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Then he arrived uh, about three. Arrived to Toronto about three hours before shoot-around. He wasn't even sure if he was going to play. He ran over none of the plays. He went through walkthrough. Mm-hmm. There's an element here, too, where Bruce Brown knows a couple of these guys from playing with them. He said when he was at Miami, they were recruiting Scotty Barnes. Yeah. So he knows Scotty a little bit there. Mm-hmm. He's played against Dennis Schroeder in the playoffs. But he doesn't have a personal relationship with any of these guys. Um, Darko told us a really fascinating thing that we'll have to dig in with more on Darko in the coming weeks. But a couple summers ago, Darko was working on a study that he was doing about the best cutters in the NBA and how. Mm. And he watched a ton of Bruce Brown tape because Bruce Brown with the Nets was a tremendous cutter. Bruce Brown told us after, he's like, well, I was playing with KD and Kyrie and James Harden. If you don't learn how to cut, you're never going to get the ball. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be an interesting challenge because he also said in Indy, in the Halliburton system, he knew where all his shots were coming from. Mm -hmm. He knows what, and now he had to go out there last night, not knowing the plays and just hoop for 25 minutes and and make reads. And he's like, I screened for Scotty a couple times. It was working. So I just kept doing that. And he had a couple nice passes and things like that. But his timeline went Indy, Sacramento to Indy at 1 a.m. Indy to Toronto the next day. Got to Toronto a couple hours before the game. Wasn't sure if he was going to play. Doesn't really know these guys. All he had time to do mm. was DM Michael Porter Jr. and be like, yo, will, you bro- <laughs> will your brother give up his jersey number for 10K? Jonte Porter, by the way, will, if he lasts the whole season on two ways, only going to make like 400 only. It's going to make about 400K this year. Mm-hmm. 10K for a jersey number is hey. a nice piece of work. 
Good job, man. And, you know, that's completely tax uh, off the books kind of thing. <laughs> that's just, that's a pure 10, um, you know, that's a clean 10. So that's a yeah. crazy itinerary also. Yeah, yeah. I think it tells you a lot about Bruce Brown, mm -hmm. that he was able to come in in that situation. And look, it's not impossible. We saw RJ and Emmanuel quickly debut after one, but they had a, a whole day in Toronto, then a shoot around that mm -hmm. afternoon to get ready. Bruce Brown, like, walked in the building yeah. and was like, here's a walkthrough, go get your shots up, it's game time. And he played 25 minutes at the Raptors, by the way. I, I saw some people being like, why is he playing so much in his first game? He's probably they won his minutes by like a lot. I was gonna say, yeah, he played a lot because he's one of their best players. Yeah. instantly walking into. I, I think that tells yeah. you a lot about him, like as a hoop head, that you can walk into a situation yeah. like that that you're unfamiliar with all the people and the system and, and just fit in. He's a really he's a really smart player. Yeah, I mean, the, he, he played like a big role for the Nuggets in the championship run. Yep, and he's probably like the biggest piece that they lost since that run last year. And, of course, he got cashed out with the Pacers, and that's all good. And, unfortunately, now he gets traded. But, you know, but there's even that clip that, um, you know, uh, you know, another Raptors Republic, you know, uh, legacy item, Nils, um, he, he posted the video on social of, like, Bruce Brown before the game. You know, they how they huddle right outside of the locker room mm -hmm. in the tunnel before, you know, they, they, they come out for the actual warm-ups. And Bruce Brown's just, like, looking around, like, who is this? Like, can you, sir, can you take off your warm-up so I can see your, the name on your, 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 your jersey? Like, he was just looking around for, like, a solid 30 seconds. Like, who are these dudes? Yeah. When he first came into the game, he got two fouls on him, and he missed three or whatever, and it was, like, not the biggest debut at that point. But second half, him playing small ball center, I mean, he's got to be the he's got to be the best small ball center per capita, right? Like, he's, he's the smallest small ball center in the league. Yeah, in terms of, like, who who defends it like i would give drew holiday the edge in terms of post okay. defense all right, all right. but drew holiday is never the center he's never even remotely the center he just will switch into the post all the time bruce brown is maybe six foot four and he's just like yeah i'll play center like yeah. like we saw a lot of ronde playing pseudo sure, yeah, center yeah, yeah, yeah. but ronde has like three four inches on mm -hmm. bruce brown mm -hmm. and he's got super long arms yeah. I, I feel like yeah with bruce like it's it speaks to his ability to to space. Obviously, it helps when you have a, a star player like Scotty to play off of. The Bulls were just regularly sending double teams at him in the second half, and you know you, the Raptors did need to find ways to sort of space and cut. And the fact that yeah, he can instantly walk in just speaks to his IQ. Do you want the Raptors to hold on to him? Is because that solves the other question. You know, yeah. I, I know we did we were going to do much trade talk, but I guess yeah. we have to have to. Almost. Look, they've got three weeks here, and there are going to be. Basically, any team that has a salary that can match and is in the playoff picture right now is going to make a call on Bruce Brown. Shams told us that yesterday, mm -hmm. basically, yeah. and Bruce Brown's good, man. There's he also is, yeah. the flexibility of his contract as a team option at $23 million next yeah. year. There's no buyout or anything like that. That's a huge flexibility piece where, I mean, that's a huge flexibility piece for the Raptors where mm -hmm. they, they could play this out. And then in the offseason, be like, do we want to be a cap space team? If we don't think there's a free agent that we really want, mm. we could keep Bruce Brown at 23, keep the mid-level available to us, and roll that through. Maybe Bruce Brown has a trademark at the next deadline or whatever. Yeah. He's also, you know, if you're thinking timeline-wise okay. and stuff like that, he's a couple years younger than Pascal. He's closer to OG's age than Pascal. So it's not like he's... Don't worry about timelines right now. No, and, and it's not... I just mean it's not like he's, he has no value by next year because mm -hmm. yeah, he's 34 exactly. or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, right. But I, that, that same thinking would probably be the case for like 12 teams in the league who would be like, well, we could get Bruce Brown 
maybe use that team option. But if we're in a cap crunch or something like that, we could turn around and trade them or yeah. get get out of that money. Like it, it's a real interesting piece. So I think they're going to take a lot of calls on him, but they're not, they're just not going to sit him out for three weeks while they figure that out. Um, yeah. So my answer to this one, unfortunately, is I, I think it'll come down to what kind of offer they get. If a team's just like, hey, mm-hmm. here's Evan Fournier's dead money and like a future second, I think they just keep they just keep well, Bruce Brown at that along point. those lines. Do you want Fournier and Grimes? Is that moving I mean, you? Grimes is interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I've got a lot of shooting guards now. So. Yeah, I probably ask for like the Knicks have a lot of firsts, and I know they're saving them in case a okay. star becomes available or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, Grimes is yeah. a rotation caliber player. It's it's yeah. not nothing. Yeah, give um, me give me a first and uh, another two Azlatan files, yeah. and uh, let's call it even. You know? Yeah, drop the lawsuit. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, um, maybe uh, we should get Fred Katz to talk on to talk about that. Oh, buddy. Um, um Bruce Brown, by the way. Bing uh, bong! <laughs> uh, Bruce Brown, by the way, really great for the media. Yeah. Really great interview, it seems like. Yeah. And I, I, I love his energy and his spirit. It's yeah, great to hear. And I, I've heard he's a, you know, obviously when trades happen like this, we hit up our friends who, you know, cover teams mm-hmm. in different markets or, or might have coaching relationships or whatever. And it really does, this doesn't matter for the Encore product really, but like everyone speaks highly of Bruce Brown. Everyone speaks highly of Jordan Wara, who obviously has the, the Maasai relationship Yo, as well. By the way, I was watching Jordan Wara shoot because he didn't come in the game. He could shoot. He could shoot that thing. Yeah, that he, might he was be it. Really well. Yeah, that might be like he's it's probably it. But he's headed for free agency, and he's twenty five years old, and we've seen four years of him getting rotation I chances. Know, I know. Um, look, if you're six foot eight and you can shoot, I'll give you a shot in the rotation just yeah. to see. Um, but I don't know. And then the other thing is like Kyra Lewis is is like apparently a tremendous dude too. Mm. Uh, on top of just having some of the most entertaining G League tape. By the way, he's with the nine hundred five. He's gonna play with them tomorrow. Okay, exciting. Got to um, get, get a look at him there. Yeah, so a, lo- a lot, obviously, to uh, to unpack there. Um, right. Last one for you on the game, because I know we want to do a bunch of the Maasai stuff. The Raptors closed super small. Yeah, they did. They closed with Scotty as the yeah. center, I-, I guess, or Bruce Brown, point if you center. prefer. Yeah, and then center. Gary, Dennis, and Quickly. And at one point, it was RJ in place of Dennis, but they yeah. made that switch with, with a little bit left, I think, just for an ex- extra offensive boost. And, and, you know, RJ was having uh, not his most efficient game. Mm-hmm. Um what did you make of that look? And I guess more to what it looks like moving forward. Like when Jakob was, he was healthy earlier in the year. There's a conversation every game about whether or not he closes. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty locked in as a closer now. Yeah. Well, I think part of the conversation there was like, well, the Raptors had a bunch of six, nine fours that they can kind of switch to. Yeah. So if you don't have Jakob on the floor, you still have Pascal, three, OG, six foot nine guys and Scotty. Yeah. Now you kind of do need him on the floor a lot of the time. So I understand going small against the Bulls. Um, you're not really going to find a good matchup for Vucevic anyway. So you might as well try to like attack him on the other end and try to like just win in a scoring kind of battle. But it is kind of interesting because they started the season like as one of the biggest starting fives in the league outside of Dennis. And then they close now like midway through the season with literally Scotty and four guys, six, four and under. <laughs> it's just yeah. uh, this, and, and like yeah. this is the thing right it's to- like two entirely different teams man yeah it, like it's you're small at center and this was like true for basically the whole era before they got yak was mm-hmm. like well the raptors are always small yeah but they're only they're a little small at center and a little small at point guard and they're way bigger than you at all the other positions yes but now they're also smaller than you at every position except whichever one yeah. scotty's playing like i was watching demario so now i'm like he must be having the time of his life. Not only is he dapping up Vince Carter, and, and that was cool, by the way, seeing him and Vince and, 
and Alvin catch up before the game. Weird, it's though, real, that like, DeMar had nobody on the Raptors to dap up after the game, right? Like, he he doesn't, I guess like... Jakob, like, to a degree. Boucher, who they barely overlapped. Well... They didn't overlap at all. Well, actually. they definitely overlapped when he, when, he, when he dunked on Boucher when he was with the Spurs. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. I don't uh, know what I'm doing, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool seeing DeMar come back. And, you know, he was, like, dapping up, like, you know, the broadcasters and... But, yeah, uh, it is weird. He also, by the way, DeMar came back and he sat in seat number 43 on the court sides because, um, I mean, whatever. This is, like, such a niche thing. But uh, the in-arena people will, like, write down the seat numbers, like, on the bottom of the chairs. You typically wouldn't see them when they're actually sat on. They're mm-hmm. folded. But the rest of them were folded up. And I think DeMar was one only sitting in. And you could see 42 next to him and 44, the other one. Really cool gesture from yeah. the, in the empty arena. Like, it's a surreal shot. Uh, by the Bulls' social account, and it just has, uh, you know, yeah. DeMar sitting in Pascal's seat number. A shot that you sick. had a- a- Alex replicate after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did hit the same. It didn't hit the same. But, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It's a, it's a different era. You know, I think it just really hammered in that, like, we do have a new era change. I thought you would have seen everything you would want to see out of Scotty in his, like, first, like, official, 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 like, this is your team. No, no one's in the way. Just run with it. Thought he did well. He just couldn't close. Um, and we'll see how that grows. But we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about Masai's press conference last night. And yeah. By the way, just a heads up. Around 3.30, Marquise Noel is oh, joining yes. us from Raptors 905. He's second right now in G League All-Star voting or second. the next up game. Yeah, he fell the number two. Uh, so you got to get those votes wow. in by Monday. Um, NBAGleague.com slash vote. Uh, yes. We'll talk to Marquise Noel a little later in the show as well. It's okay. It's just like how the Raptors show fell the second in basketball podcast charts. but uh, <laughs> Because of Shea Shea and Cat Williams? But guess what? I, I'm here Cat to tell Williams you. starting in the G League All-Star game. <laughs> I, I, I'm here to tell you we're back number one, all right? Oh, that oh, we was are? one interview. That was nice. one interview, and they did it for a week, and now we're back number one. My, my like J uh, show's down to number four since I've been off all offseason. So yeah, well, I got to get that back up. I got to get, I got to have two number ones going simultaneously yo, somehow. Have, have you seen a guy do both? The Bo Jackson of podcasting. Yeah, All right, we're going to take this so. break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Got Blake Murphy, co-host. And look, yesterday we were on the show and we started an hour early to listen to the Messiah Jerry press conference. Again, still just something that you would really would love to go back and process. It was a very vulnerable and open, revealing kind of press conference that you typically don't hear from executives. And, and we cover sort of the bigger topics of it. Um, before we got to Shams and, and, and focus once again on the nitty-gritty of how the deal came together, what other deals were on the table. Again, yesterday's – I'm very proud of what we did yesterday on the show. Um, I'm also – this. sorry, I'm still up? distracted by this thing, the same thing, but for anyone who's not listening live on the radio and heard the early part of our conversation <laughs> earlier and didn't get it, well, uh, Derek, our technical producer, just played uh, When I Think About You, I Touch Myself as the song coming back from break. Just a uh, – a wonderful piece of Friday work from Derek Brandeo. Goodness. Anyway, what do you, what do you what is front of mind for you in terms of Masai's press conference? Like we obviously touched on some of the stuff, but I sat with this. I went back. I listened to some more clips. I, I wrote yesterday uh, as well. So um, there's a lot that we can pull from from here. Some of it's sillier and more fun. Some of it, I think that that gives us a real window into 
what this team was thinking, not only this deadline, but last deadline. Sorry, man. <laughs> it's a lot of technical difficulties. I yeah, hope I'm just ditching my headphones, by the way. I'm going to talk right. to you, and someone can text me if we're, uh, yeah. if we're having because I can't do that. Um, so what's front of mind for you? There, I, I know we both said we'd come with a couple different topics yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that we wanted to blow out. Okay, so I think the number one takeaway from the press conference yesterday in terms of the basketball strategy of it um, was that Masai clearly believed that that run deserved one more year and one final chance. They talked about it. He said, you know, we had uh, an all-defensive player in OG. We had an all-NBA player in Pascal, an all-star in Fred Van Vliet, a rookie of the year in Scotty Barnes. Coach he, of the year in Nicky. He didn't say this, but yeah. coach of the year in Nick Nurse coming off 48 and, wins. He just felt like that group deserved another run. He, I mean, they had the 48-win season, and, you know, it looked like they were maybe going somewhere. Uh, he wanted to see how far it was going to go. He looked at it on paper. He saw that the talent was better than it was a, as compared to the previous season, even though their record was a lot worse. And he also kind of mentioned that, you know, that group said that they needed a rim-protecting center. And so they went out and got that in Yaka Pertle. Obviously, it was too late uh, and it was too little in the first place. And since then, it's all completely fallen apart. But he did at least give us a rest, the justification for it. But uh, all at the same time, he also... Essentially said, if I was too patient, if I'm guilty of too patient, then whatever. And it's like, yeah, I think he was guilty of being too patient with that group because you think probably so. should have, yeah, not 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 bought not not doubled down at last year's trade deadline. And I, I get the sentiment where I had an issue with it last year at the deadline. And look, I love that 48 win team. That was a fun year. That was a fun fight back in the playoff series and things like that. And I get if you if you look at that and you think, man, Scotty is better quicker than we thought. We've got all these other pieces. Like, what if Scotty? What if Scotty had taken the jump last year yep. that he took this year? That was the ideal script. And that's maybe mm-hmm. not a. Re- I mean, it's not maybe. That's not a realistic expectation for a player in year two. But mm-hmm. what if, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you would probably kick yourself if you tore it down, and then Scotty was this, and you were like, man, we we maybe could have made a run. Where I, I have trouble with it though is heading into the trade deadline. There were seven games under five hundred. They're 23 and 30 the week before, the week heading into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam's in year six at that point. Fred's in year six. OG's in year five. Chris Boucher's in year five. Even Gary had been with the team a couple years. You're not, you're not old team, but you're not super young. I think that when you look at that 48-win season, there are some underlying indicators that they overperformed a little bit relative to what the actual talent level was in a weird season as the NBA got back to normalcy and stuff like that. Um, I think the seven games under 500 probably should have told you enough. I think 50, uh, yeah, I totally. think 53 games, given that it came with players who other than Scotty, you were pretty certain who they are. And given that, yes, you won 48 games the year prior, but you had a good idea that that was probably closer to like a 44 win team on true talent. Maybe mm. um, I disagree with the Jakob Pertle trade at the time. I understand the on-court aspect of why he would be a good fit and why that would make the team better defensively, open up some stuff pick-and-roll-wise. But, yes, I I agree with Masai's theoretical that Mm. I think he was too patient. I think he gave them enough time and digging in further on it at the deadline rather than saying we gave it a year and a half, it's time to reorient, was a mistake. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm with you on all that. So let's move on to the second thing that I thought was noteworthy. Him defending that Yaka Proto trade. Um, because I think the way Grange posed the question to him was, you know, 
part of the thinking of trading a first and only protecting it for this year's draft one through six is that the 2024 draft is a bit weak. So you moved off of the, your own pick, only protected it to a limited degree to get Jakob, and now you are then actively trying to get three more picks, which they have done now in this year's draft. Indiana's pick, probably going to be the Clippers pick or OKC's pick, and then also Detroit's second rounder, which is going to be 31. Yeah, so 19, 27, and 31 are the picks you'd have right now. Right, exactly. Why are you moving back into this deal? And Masai kind of talked about it in the sense of like, look, when you trade a first-round pick for a starting center, it's good for now or for the future. Whether it's a fit for our team or something in the future, it's good. And he, he just said, like, essentially, this is just what the price is to get a starter. And I think he's kind of sticking by that. Do you agree with that, at least that element? Putting aside whether or not Jakob was the right player for this group. So, in a vacuum? Mm-hmm. Sure. You turn a first-round pick into a yeah. starting caliber like, player. That's like what the Cavs gave up to get Jared Allen, for example. Right. Yeah. Who's better, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, you could walk back, hey, what other opportunities? Right. Were, because, like, this is this is part of the problem here is your decision set was not trade what you traded for Jakob and then sign him to this deal or have no center and no other move. Like, there are other possibilities mm-hmm. you could have done yeah, with that. Yeah, I agree. I have two issues with the Jakob thing, and I had these at the time as well. First of all, they keep talking about it like it was just a first. Mm-hmm. It was a first in two seconds, yeah. which who knows? Maybe that the second last year ended up being uh, City Sissoko, who the Spurs have mm-hmm. and has been kind of up and down through the G League this year. Mid-second round pick, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes those are nothing. Sometimes they're something. Mm-hmm. And a, a future second round pick that who knows where it'll be. But it's it was three picks, not just one pick. Okay. Um, and the thinking with trading this year's pick is they thought Jakob would mean that they're good now. And so who cares if you trade the number 18 pick for Jakob Pertl? If you trade the number seven pick versus if you trade the number 18 pick for Jakob Pertl, that's not the same thing. That's Mm -hmm. not the same value. A first is is different. But where my issue really lies with this is, yes, if everyone were on even footing, every team in the league was exactly the same record, a first-round pick for a player like Jakob Pertl, you can justify it. The Raptors were not in the situation, in my estimation, to do that. Teams, there is marginal value to players being added to different situations. If you are, this is the point I made with OG and OB. If you're the Knicks and you think you're a first-round playoff team, but you don't have the pieces to get you over the hump in a playoff series, adding OG and OB has huge marginal value for you. If you're the Detroit Pistons, OG and OB does nothing for you right now. Maybe long-term he does, but he, what does he do? When you one or two extra games in a 10-win season, who cares? If you're the Knicks, the marginal value, that is massive. Mm-hmm. If you were a team that was, if you're the Thunder right now, say, and let's ignore Jakob's contract. Let's say it was last year where he's an expiring or whatever. And you're this year's Thunder team that has the center of the future in chat, but could use a little rebounding uh, boost, could certainly use a, a center who can give you good minutes off the bench and play next to Chet a little bit. If they gave up a mid-first round pick for Jakob Pertl in the situation they're in mm-hmm. with lots of other firsts where they're very, very close to contention, Yes. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. The Raptors were not in that situation. The marginal value of adding Jakob Pertl to a team that was seven or five or whatever it was by that time the actual trade happened, but heading into that week, seven games under 500 mm-hmm. was just not there to warrant a first and two seconds. Yeah. And like you got his bird rights. You were able to resign him. Sure. But you're also able to resign him at like full market value, like mm-hmm. four you years, seven, eight million. There yeah. was nothing left on the table there. So um, my question is, can you get a first from now for him? Yeah. I don't think so. I okay, think because so then you've already you, lost value. Because you have given him the deal now. Um, 
like I don't think that deal is going to age poorly. The cap's continuing no, to rise. He's, he's Jakob's a good player. He's, like, a good player. He's, he's not the top ten center that Masai had said last year when he, they acquired he him. This time, he's yeah. a starting level center, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Teams would have a if they really wanted to shop Jakob right now, they could at worst get out of his contract and take nothing back. Like no yeah, one's. Like it's, not Wiggins, it's not a Wiggins. It's not a situation where no, you have yeah, to pay a team no to take him. He's on. playing. He's productive. Yeah. He's good in his role. He's good at the things we knew he was good yeah. at. Um, but, but I if don't, you can't I don't get a first-round pick back for him right now, then I, I guess you have lost value. And maybe There's you no could, but I, I don't think it's going to be a top-six protected pick from a team that could potentially miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, besides also, he added in this thing, I'm not going to carve or spilled milk or give excuses. So, But yeah. he also then said, maybe it was selfish, maybe it was a mistake on my part, but we went 15-11. Yeah. So, which I mean, whatever they when they you were talk better. About hour, like you pull out one quote, like it, it you know, the, you might do other, sound a little wilder. The other part of this is like, and look, it makes more sense now that they have Emmanuel quickly. Mm-hmm. But like, Jakob made way more sense with Fred, and I'm not advocating that they should have given Fred three years, 120 million, and further dug down on this. Yeah. But there was an incongruency in doing this stuff for Yak and then taking away a guy who made Yak make the most sense. And we've seen since the quickly trade when Jakob was healthy, yeah. how much more sense that makes. That's a, that's for a separate sure, thing. For sure. I want to kick something back to you, though, regard, so, re- related to this. And this isn't meant to relitigate the trade because I feel how I feel about it. However, mm-hmm. I've gotten a couple questions about whether it would be better for the Raptors to convey their pick now yeah. or convey it later. So for anyone who doesn't remember, that pick is top six protected. If the Raptors got as low as six last in the standings, mm-hmm. which is maybe unlikely because Memphis is probably going to bottom out worse. But let's say they get to six last. That's the best case scenario if you care about ping pong balls. They have a 45% chance of keeping their pick. Dude, that's that's terrible. So a less than a 50-50% chance. So there's a there is a very good chance they're going to give this pick to the Spurs this year and it'll fall Mm -hmm. in the seven to, to 14 range. There have been some questions about whether that would be better or worse for the team. And the argument kind of goes like this will it would be better to convey the pick now mm-hmm. and get it over with because it takes right now you have a freeze on what first round picks and second round picks you can trade because if this pick doesn't convey this year it turns into a 2025 first and if it doesn't convey that year it turns into a 2026 and 2027 second yep. um so all those picks are frozen until this pick conveys it's also considered to be a weaker draft there's no such thing as a bad draft it's always better to have picks than not but it is considered a weaker draft than the last few years and then the years that are coming up ahead um and then it also so it frees you up for you know trading picks frees you up for getting your 2025 pick in in a better draft and things like that the case for conveying it later Mm -hmm. would be that well a you need to amass talent right now and, and getting an extra pick in this draft even if it's not the best draft is another good player and in this case would be a top six player in the draft more importantly the case would go well the raptors expect to be better next year so they'd then be conveying a worse pick to san antonio i i think this is a case where either side is fine it's it's a matter of your preference how do you feel about it would you rather the raptors get this pick obligation out of the way and it's done their picks are freed up and stuff you rather get a top six pick and like let's not assume it's the number one pick because that changes things but like i don't know three four six yeah okay let me let me let me throw this at you that I've been kind of throwing it at various people in the Raptors, like just again, media circles. We just, you know, chat before the game and stuff like that. You think it's realistic at all to send Jakob back to San Antonio <laughs> and then remove some of the pick protections or at least change the pick protection as part of the returns for So this what game? would it be? You send Jakob to the Spurs, you take back a salary, and that top six pick instead becomes lotto protected rolling yeah. forward? Yeah. Because maybe you're not getting the whole pick back. Yeah. Ideally, you get the whole pick back. Then you have control of your own draft and you don't have to, 
you know, if you want to tank, you can tank. If you don't want to tank, you don't have to tank, yeah. whatever. But they're not, like we said, they're not going to be able and, to and, tank aggressively enough this year anyway. The reason I put that out there is because after Jakob left San Antonio, the only reports of teams potentially maybe signing Jakob out of Toronto um, in free agency was San Antonio. And we even joked about it. It was like, oh, how funny would it be if San Antonio, like, just took him back? But I was like, I do feel like when you hear the bit of noise, I think, number one, Jakob was happy in San Antonio. That's not to say he's unhappy here. He's not, right? But he was happy in San Antonio along with that group. The coaching staff got along with that group. Um, and they do seem to not want to play Wemby at center long term. Now, they have other center options. They don't seem that good, to be honest. They don't seem that good. So if you really want to control of your own drafts moving forward, at least sort of see if you can make that conversation. Weirdly enough, the Raptors calling San Antonio again for the <laughs> third state trade deadline. But hey, at least we know they know each other's numbers. It's just kind of a fun thing to think about. But yeah, it, in general, is- if you don't do that kind of deal and you, the pick protection is as it is, I think I would just like surrender for this year. You already have three more picks at the end of the draft. Of course, that's not as valuable as someone at the top of the draft. Raptors probably going to surrender, you know, like a ninth, tenth kind of pick, depending on how they finish the season, which sucks, but it happens. You know what I mean? And you just kind of roll on. I would definitely not want to see the Raptors not control their destiny in 2025. That mm-hmm. draft class is going to be really good. And you then can't trade your 2025 exactly. pick. And like yeah. you've got a little more flexibility there because you have Indiana's pick now and you have uh, Indiana's pick in 2026. So you technically could trade your 2025 away, but there are still some restrictions and those restrictions are the future seconds and things mm-hmm. like that. There's a flexibility element to that. As yeah. for, I, I don't know that the Spurs would do that. Like if they just give you, if they just loosen the protections, they basically lost the year of Yak to get him on the same contract. Like, I, I think, I don't think the Spurs would be super game for that in the position that they're in. Um, but it's worth noting that despite being very, very young and rebuilding, Spurs actually aren't like a huge cap space team mm. this summer. Mm. So mm. who knows? Maybe they would be like, like they have 118.4 million on the books for next year. Yeah. So like they, they could get into like not as much cap space as the Raptors could yeah. theoretically. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing to kick, kick around. The Spurs also have infinity <gasps> picks over the next five years. So Let's maybe... See. Maybe they are a little more willing us to. of this control, that's all. Man. Like, so let's, yeah. you know, stop holding this over us. Uh, a mistake that we and, already and made. Maybe they could throw in City Sissoko, too, so it's like you got the second-round pick yeah. back for Yak yeah, as well. Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Uh, we do need some defense-first players now that we have a lot of offense-first players. Um, so another thing Masai talked about was preaching patience for a rebuild. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned how a normal rebuild would take like five, six years. Do you have the patience for that? He said, I'm patient, maybe to a fault. I was patient in that team. Um you know, I was patient with these players. It's going to take patience. We're going to need to see these guys grow. We don't have as much patience now in this day and age. Uh, he said the word patience probably more than he said winning for the first time in a, in, in many press conferences. He did now. get his his catchphrase in though by the end. Well, it's we like, will it, win in Toronto. It's a chorus for him. Yeah. It's you know, it's like you got to hear it after a couple of, like yeah. verses. Yeah, but in in this case, yeah, I mean. Do you think this fan base has the, the the patience for a rebuild? It'll be interesting to see because there's obviously the longtime fans who have gone through what weren't even rebuilds, just it sustained periods of not being just, good. just bad yeah. without a, yeah. but there are also, and this isn't a judgment. This is the reality of the franchise. There are some fans who became more hardcore fans because of the championship run. There are fans totally, who man. became new fans during the championship run and haven't experienced that. And it's a, it's an entirely new thing. We mentioned earlier in the year that attendance is still over 99% for the Raptors, but it's the lowest it's been in over a decade. So um, that, that is a, a relevant element of the, of this as well that, mm. yeah, you, I don't, I think the fan base, because Scotty is so good mm-hmm. and young and quickly and RJ are good pieces and there's the power of personality with Masai and things like that, you can see where this is going now and I, I think there would be some level of excitement about that. But I don't think that 
anyone involved in this has the appetite for like a four or five year rebuild. This is actually something I wrote about at sportsite.ca today, by the way, mm. um, where I think rebuild's probably not the right framing here, reorienting the the timeline maybe. Um, Masai has never seemed like someone who had the appetite for a full teardown and, and years of being uncompetitive. Yep. The other thing is, Scotty will sign his rookie scale extension this offseason. Mm-hmm. Everyone signs it. The Raptors could just offer way, way more money and more years and things like that. It's going to happen no matter how happy or unhappy he is. What that does, though, is it starts the clock on when you've got until you have to be competitive and convince this guy that this is where he wants to be. And, and it also starts the clock on you deciding if he's the absolute number one that you need or if you need to find a number one to go along with him. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's going – like, I think in my head, the moves that they make from here, my focus is kind of on what do they look like at the start of the 2025-2026 season. Yeah. Do you think that's fair? Quickly will be on his new deal. Scotty will be in year one of his of his rookie scale extension max. RJ will still be on his current deal. You'll have given the picks that you have this year one year. You'll have had two more deadlines and two more off seasons to build. I think that the start of the 2025-2026 season is a reasonable, maybe not to be a title contender, but like mm-hmm. that's when I'm looking at these moves informing. Yeah. You, that, by that point, hopefully this team is making the playoffs, has added some more clarity in terms of who's here long-term. Maybe you get even back to, back to a point where you're like, well, maybe we want to add some more veteran players to sort of like push this team forward. Kind of, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the ideal. But the thing is, you go into a, a rebuild, you just don't actually fully know uh, how long it'll be. But uh, we are going to take uh, a quick By the way, break. Sorry, sorry, before we take that, do you think 2025, 2026 is like a reasonable, like, hey, this is when the timeline kind of starts again? Yes, I do. But I also think that I'm going to leave room for it to happen a, maybe even as soon as next year, okay. depending on how, what they do in the offseason and how much Scotty and IQ and uh, RJ continue to grow. But yeah, we're going to take this break. Been your host, Willie. You've been listening to the Raptor Show. When we come back, let's talk about Pascal Siakam's uh, goodbye letter. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue, joined by co-host Blake Murphy. So, um, Pascal had uh, just an excellent, excellent Players' Tribune piece go up. Um, you could definitely tell that he put a lot of himself into this one. I mean, Players' Tribune process for people who... Actually, I don't want to burst the bubble. Never mind. This is all directly written by the players, for yeah. sure. Well, sometimes this, you guys like pro wrestling, man. Don't break kayfabe. You're right. You're right. Um, in any case, though, lots of great memories. If you haven't seen it already... Go to the Players' Tribune. It's got Pascal Siakam on there. It says Toronto forever. You won't miss it. And it's just such a great read. It's like, you, I think my biggest takeaways, and we'll go through some of them, but my biggest feeling coming out of this was just he was really like one of our own. He was with us through all of this. And I, I think even getting his sense of how he had the experience of playing in Toronto, um, I think it just it's just really rewarding to know that he reflected a lot of the same feelings that the fans had about how special this group was, and it just kind of confirms that. We already knew that to some degree, but to hear sort of the last guy, you know, Pascal essentially is turning off the lights for the whole era Mm -hmm. and and with this kind of move, him moving on, um, just confirmed for us one last time how special this last decade was. So um, just want to, yeah, just, just, you know, if you want a good cry, I suppose, uh, you can head over to the Players' Tribune. Yeah, it just like, man, how how much he wanted to be 
that not only connective tissue, but like, yeah. like that bridge between at one point he was the future and then he was the present and now, and then, you know, he was the past, but as still the present, he was the link to that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think mm-hmm. he wanted to carry that on. Like you look at not even dynasties because dynasties don't really exist in basketball anymore, but you look at teams that have won multiple championships over windows and, and you can at least trace some of that back to the last time. And, you know, when the Raptors next win again, there won't be anyone here who mm. was there when they won the first time. And Pascal, it comes through that he really wanted to be that on the basketball side, on top of which, like, and look, this is this is not unique to Pascal. He's not the first person that's felt this way, but the level of connection he felt to the city from mm-hmm. very, very early on and how special this place became to him, similar to, I'm sure, a lot of, like, not every Raptor fan is Toronto-based, but a lot of us feel that way about yep. the city and you know, certainly people who come from different places and the diversity and cultural aspect of the city that you can't get in every NBA market in every city in North America that you get here, I think was really special to him. Um, you know, even the, even the small things like the specific brand of fried plantains, him yeah. and his brother yeah. uh, would get his brother, by the way, st- who's still with the 905 coaching staff. So there's a, All right. that, that link is still there. He's literally got family. He's like, I'm not selling my house where my brother yeah. lives. I think his sister lives in Kitchener or something like that, or is yeah. Is, yeah. So yeah. like, there's a okay. sorry not to give not the docs people, no, but like good. he's got roots in the region uh, as <laughs> the well. Re- the region. <laughs> the For region. people listening to the podcast, he looked directly into the camera. He said the region, and then he pounded both fists. Yeah, there's on his no chest. there's no like region hand signal or whatever. I <laughs> so but yeah, it's the region. Um, oh. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It, it just it obviously meant so much to him, yeah, and like yeah. you really do believe that he he wanted to stick around here uh-huh. um, and be that kind of you know, connection to a past that was so, so special for this franchise. And that's still there. Mm -hmm. Masai and Bobby and the rest of the front office were still there. You know, we as, as media, we as fans and things like that, like that is still there. But but on the actual team, there's no longer a connection to that, which was only not even five full years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, man, there's a sense of finality to it. And, and, you know, what'd you call it? Turning out the lights. I think that's a good way to put it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a weird one. The, again, to go back to the Chris Boucher meme of like, yeah, yeah. Will standing in the empty house at the end of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, I don't know. It's it's weird. And like you read something like that, and it, it feels so nice to read, and it feels so special to read. And obviously, it's not. It's sad, but it's sad in like a a good way. Like this yeah, is, of course, it's so cool that this happened and this meant so much to you. And then like, it kind of sits with you that like, there's no getting that back. Mm-hmm. There's no, the next trade is not bringing back someone that you have almost a decade of connection to and has, you can basically tell the story of this 10 years of the franchise through this one player. Mm. That's not there anymore. You can't get that back. You have to rebuild it completely anew now. Yeah. And you know what? It, it was really validating reading that, that piece. It, it kind of just confirms again to us why so many people fell in love with the Raptors in this time. And grew it so attached and so appreciative to the group. I mean, I know there's been a lot of arguments and, you know, it happens when, when, when it's not a time to go, like you have all these arguments. A lot of people are still arguing, like maybe we should have kept Pascal. Maybe we, you know, you know, he seems like he wanted to stay. Maybe we could have extended him. This you know, extension was this. or was not offered. Yeah, and-, and, and you get all the debates about like, should we tank? Should we not tank? And like, it just kind of like takes away from like the fun and the joy of it. Um, because when it was good, it was really, really good. And you know, Pascal wrote uh, in the piece, uh, his agent, uh, either, either Todd or, or Jafar, uh, both on the show this week, but, you know, asked him, like, hey, you know, look, this, it's, look, it seems like we're going to move on, right? It seems like Toronto wants to move on. You know, where do you see yourself? And Pascal's quotes were, where do I see myself? I mean, 
Toronto. Toronto is just all I've known and he all looks- I've ever wanted to know. I never asked for a trade. Maybe this sounds naive, but I felt like I could be one of those dudes who spends his whole career on one team. That was my mentality, even with the rumors. Like, I helped the Raptors win their first NBA title, so eventually I'll help them win their second. I always took that as a given, you know. I took a lot of pride in being that guy who's connecting the past and the future here and keeping that as one era. But also I realized it's a business, and it's their right to decide when it's time for an era to end. And, yeah, I mean, you're getting this against the backdrop of Kyle Lowry coming in the building. DeMar DeRozan coming back in the building. Vince. Vince coming back in the building as part of the TNT broadcast last night, and he got a nice cheer from the crowd. I know there's still a lot of split feelings, but I think as time goes on, it's becoming more and more positive. Um, And I know it means a lot to Vince, too. You can see how touched he was with that uh, tribute and the ovation. I mean, back to when he came back with Memphis that one time, and there was a tribute, and he, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was really awesome. But, like, like, you get to see, like, Raptors culture – celebrated in that way and i'm looking forward already to february 14th when pascal siakam's been coming back in and even before that you know fred van vliet's gonna come back and og i know he's gonna come back with the Knicks later this year right i don't think we played two home games against no they the come back i'm pretty sure okay um in any case like you're just gonna get to see this over and over again and it's it's special because you did spend that time with these people and i think that like the storybook idea of this was like kyle and Demar, out of sheer accident in the rudy gay trade pull together, band together, and really create, you know, Raptor culture. The We The North era, that's when the branding came on strong. That's when Masai and Bobby took over, and they were pushing forward, and they're building this identity. They become a playoff team. They hit all these, like, literally year after year, they would set, like, franchise record for most wins and things like that, go deeper and deeper into the playoffs. Yeah, they hit their heads a lot of times on the way, you know, but it was just a, such a romantic feeling. And, of course, eventually you got to the point where you got to finish and you got to get over the top. And so you get Kawhi, you get Mark, and you win the title. But it just felt like just this storybook thing. And we've established the Raptors as an organization. And that's always going to move on. Like, Kawhi was always going to move on. He only had it for one year. Once he left, the champion kind of, you know, ship mentality um, didn't leave. But the actual possibility to keep contending left with him. But it was like, can we keep that culture going? And Kyle was so good in that next year of doing that. And and you were sort of hoping that you would, like, pass it on through the guys who were younger who were still here, like OG, like Norm, like Kyle, or sorry, like like Fred, like, like Pascal. And those were the four guys. And whether it was the pandemic, whether it was just contract situations came up, whether maybe they, honestly, maybe they weren't good enough, like, as, as players to sort of sustain that for a winning program. But the ideal version of that would have been one of those four guys, two of those four guys, maybe all four of those guys stick around and keep it going. And I guess it just couldn't happen. And to, you know, wrap this into Masai's point about maybe he was too patient and wanted to give it more time. I really do think they thought that that Pascal OG Fred Norm group could, if they weren't going to get back to a championship contender, they could be the 2016 Kyle DeMar group that Mm -hmm. was at least close enough that you were one move away and you could believe you were one move away. And I don't know that, you know, those four guys weren't good enough necessarily. I I really do think, I don't mean the pandemic, like, hurt the Raptors more than anyone else, but there's a cultural erosion when you can't be in the gym the same way every day and you can't can't be the same family and things like that. But Simon did once say that, Going to Tampa set us back five years. Yeah. And we don't know exactly what he meant by I mean, that. It but it set maybe me back like two years personally going oh. down there for like a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. So um, okay. it's. Uh, we did have the interview with Utah earlier this year yeah. where he was like, yeah, my day was just, you know, go downstairs, 
practice, come back home, and just stay in that hotel room the entire day. I would run like, into him in the hotel lobby like every day when I was down there. Yeah. And we, you were masked up, and like we, at that point, everyone was still like yeah. keeping the distance course, and stuff like course, that. But yeah. you'd say hello, and that's that's all anyone did, man. Yeah, it was anyway. So whether it's those four guys didn't get good enough, and I, I think that that core, especially once you added mm-hmm. Scotty to that. Well, Scotty helped extend that. I think yes. that gave it an extra bit of life. Yeah, and and I think that what really hurt, and it hurts your ability to sustain that, but it also hurts your ability to, if that move came along, that you're one move away from KD, Dame, Donovan Mitchell, whoever it is, I don't care. You did not like where they really got hurt. I think is they didn't hit on the next wave of Norm Pascal, OG yeah. Fred. To where, like, Norm, Pascal, OG, Fred were the young core underneath Kyle, DeMar, Jonas, mm-hmm. and, and whoever else. And then when they had to cash in some of those guys for win-now moves, those guys, those younger guys were all ready to step into that. There was no second, there was no next yes, wave of yeah. that. And that, you know, a good bench doesn't nece- doesn't drive championships as much as, you know, having the best star players. But it does keep you flexible. It does give you trade assets, stuff like that. Like, again, Norm mm-hmm. was the 11th man before they went all in. Yeah. That's wild. That is wild. That a guy who is like a no doubt 25 minute a game guy on contenders every year since yeah. was an 11th man. Our 11th man had a 60% true shooting percentage. Crazy. Year. Like it's like OKC is right now, for example. Yeah. So I think that, look, I don't agree with how long they ran it out and, and tried tried it with that group. Mm-hmm. But I do think what Pascal is saying there and what they felt in 2019, 2020 they were doing mm-hmm. by running it back and carrying that forward. I do think that was the prevailing feeling and plan was we have built so much and we found the right young guys to carry this on and maybe it's not a championship group but we'll be right back to being one move away Mm -hmm. and pascal very much thought he was obviously the players thought that that wasn't even the case they could be that group right Um, of course i mean look i don't want the players to come in and be like well yeah we're just like you know we're just here and hopefully we get another quiet up on our lap kind of thing you don't want to revisit tuesday's conversation about signing jerseys and stuff yeah um um, yeah, so I don't know. I do think that Pascal's piece, even though obviously the the relationship with Masai by the end seemed a, a little eroded there to where Masai publicly apologized to him, privately apologized to him, and publicly apologized to him the other day. But look, um, it's it better does, on the bridge, man. Yeah, like, it does seem like yeah. like what Pascal felt emotionally and what he felt the responsibility for with that franchise is was really in line with what Masai thought the next era would be for the franchise. Yeah, listen, once everyone gets their money, I think everyone's usually pretty happy. And I do think that that's one of the nice things is you see the Raptors being successful in developing these guys, and then they have successful careers even elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, look how happy Knicks fans are at getting OJ and Obi. There's a sense of wonder almost when they see him. Like, wow, he's so low maintenance. Wow, he's so funny when he gives a few quotes, and they're all very short. He's It's so amazing how good he is at defense. It's it's He's hitting corner threes at a high rate. Like, he's super efficient. You know, they're appreciating him in that way. Fred goes to Houston. They're like, wow, look how good it is to have a point guard for once. Uh, look how good it is to have an adult in the room. Look how much he's playing pick and roll with Shangoon and helping him lift to that next level in that sort of combination. Look at him trying to train with guys like Jalen Green in the offseason. They're appreciating that aspect. You know, you see Norm go to the Clippers and, and you know, Kawhi's over to the Clippers. I mean, it's easy to appreciate those guys. It's, it's, it's going to be easy for Indiana to appreciate Pascal in a way that, you know, what we took for granted, they're going to appreciate all the time. But that just speaks to the fact that the Raptors were able to grow these guys and turn them into great pros and that they also became great pros on their own as well. So, And this has been part it of... It makes me proud to see them come home. For Lamar sure. And Kyle, of course, are the biggest examples. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like this has colored kind of the national discussion around this team and I'm sure was like a little 
made it a little more difficult for Messiah and Bobby and them at points too. And I'm not making excuses for them, but I do think what you've laid out there and what we've experienced is like, if you have so many guys that everyone else in the league would really want and really appreciate it, would trade a lot for, like, I get why you would be like, well, why don't we just roll it out then? Like, again, I disagree with that conclusion, but I understand why you make it. It's like, well, if we have four guys who we could get a boatload for, Mm -hmm. why don't we just play those four guys and be good? So, um, Okay, I have. Uh, I'm gonna pivot it to a lighter. There's more heavy stuff to get to and serious stuff, but I want to sprinkle in some lighter stuff. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Give me a lighter one because I'm gonna hit you with a super heavy one after okay. this. Pascal passed his driving test on the first try. Came okay. here, didn't know how to drive. Raptors taught him to drive. Took him on down to Service Ontario what, or whatever. When you say the Raptors taught him how to drive, you mean like actual members of the organization? I don't know. The, he down. was not yeah. immediately clear. No, no, but that, that's what happened. But yeah, yeah, like like probably like John Bennett or someone like that, who's not not with the org anymore, yeah. uh, but was a big Shots part of these. Yeah, yeah, a big part of the development group um, as those young guys came up. Uh, someone like that. You gonna text Todd and Jafar and get them to ask Pascal how he did it and how he could pass that on to you? Uh, yeah, you know. Um, as someone who actually does jointly own a car, for me not to drive is actually Are you kind of allowed hilarious. like to have your name on the title for the car if you don't have your license? Uh, actually, that's a good question. You actually okay. are allowed. Okay. You are. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. No, but listen, when you live in the city uh, in Toronto, you understand that uh, biking is actually as fast as uh, driving. Walking is faster than walking a lot of the time. Yeah. Walking is also quite fast as well. Um, that is really funny. I also love that little detail um, that they put in there where um, so Pascal and Jakob in their <laughs> second year, the bench mob year, first off, remember that year? Cause we were all trying to campaign like, Hey, the Raptors are really good. We're our, like a, we're on pace for 60 wins. They finished with 59 and we have all these sophomores contributing. Fred's contributing. Yeah. Uh, send Pascal, the whole team to the rookie sophomore game, Jakob. Atlanta Hawks, Eastern conference player of the week style. Exactly. Right. Can we send any of these guys to the rookie sophomore game? And none of them got in. So instead of that during all-star weekend, cause they were free Pascal and Jakob, went on vacation together to Mexico. Yeah. Well, first off, how many NBA players go on vacation together? You know? Not that many. I think if yeah. they do, they keep it low-key. Like, Yeah, it's... this is like some best buddies, like real friendships at work yeah. kind of thing. You know, I've certainly never gone on a vacation with a work friend. But also at the same time, there was a great little detail that they shared in that one. Yeah, so uh, Pascal revealed that on that vacation, Jakob Pertl taught him how to shotgun a beer, <laughs> and Pascal didn't know what that was, uh-huh. despite going to college in the U.S., uh, had yeah. never shotgunned a beer. It was different than my college experience then. Um, he went to New Mexico State, not Blue Mountain State. Yeah, <laughs> good good reference. Uh, shout out to Reacher. Um, <laughs> so, it's a Friday. That's what happens on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've gotten Fred Katz <laughs> and, and Thad Castle in his Reachers uh, Fred today. Katz might also be a Blue Mountain State graduate. Uh, um, all right. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know what shotgunning a beer is, you yeah. keep the can of beer closed. You you puncture a hole in it, usually with just a key or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you hold up your mouth. And then when you open the t- the cap, yeah, yeah. the flow of air like yeah. rushes the beer and yeah. you just chug it, chug it really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sounds so, terrible. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of it at the Buffalo Bills game this week. Jack Armstrong probably going to do one or two uh, with the, with the Chiefs there for the tailgate. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It's very very amusing to picture. First of all, two guys who are almost seven feet tall, but also young at that point, mm-hmm. and like trying to instruct someone on how to do it. Mm. And Pascal said he was quite bad at it. Um, if anyone he also wants, said it was terrible. Yeah, seven, it, it is terrible to be clear. To have someone who's done this, it is not not enjoyable. It's kind of, it's fun. Okay, all right. You and I disagree on this. Yeah, I'm a beersman. Um, Fair enough. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, if anyone wants a demonstration, you send me a beer later. I'll show you how to... Uh, <laughs> you want people to throw you beers like Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yeah. You just, 
There you go. Yeah. Um, that All was right. a great little You want to go to uh, a heavier one here? I do, yeah. Because we got Marquise Noel coming up, by the yeah, way, yeah, yeah, uh, for, for anyone sure. who didn't hear it earlier. Which is going to be really fun. I, I'm really, I, again, like I said yesterday, um, he's a really confident dude. And I actually really enjoyed interviewing him in Summer League because it was something where he would say little things and I wouldn't even catch them because maybe this is my bad as an interviewer. I'm thinking about the next question in a way. Yeah. But he throws little things in there where it's like he's really confident. So I'm here to, curious to see how he's doing and, and, and try to help him make this uh, all-star push for him. Um, this other thing that really hit me so hard, and this is the second time I read it uh, when I read Pascal's piece. You know, Pascal talked about it. This is home. I put roots down here for myself here, like really, really roots. Like I, I hope people reading this understand how big that was for me. Once I left Cameroon, I mostly bounced around boarding schools, even at New Mexico State. I was only there for three years. I never really got that feeling of having a community around me during those parts of my life. And then uh, most people know this, but my dad passed away when I was in college. We were very close, and it happened very suddenly. And because of my visa situation, I couldn't even go back to Cameroon for the funeral. So when I got to the league, there was this feeling where I was going through, and I had this feeling of wanting badly to belong somewhere. Toronto made me feel like I belong from day one. I love the diversity. I'd go out and see Cameroonians, Ghanaians, Mexicans, Koreans, Jamaicans, Europeans, just all types of people from all types of communities. It made me feel comfortable. I remember during my rookie year, me and my brother, we'd go to all these amazing African restaurants and eat the food that we love from back home. Or even just these African stores that we would go to where they're selling stuff and you, that you can usually only, only find in Cameroon, like the specific brand of fried plantains we would get bags of, or there's this Cameroonian meat my brother loves, soya. And so um, he couldn't, he could find that pretty easily in Toronto. And this is the part that, again, just for me, when I read it, I was like, damn, he actually vocalized something that me as someone, you know, also grew up as an immigrant in Toronto, um, you know, always implicitly understood, but maybe not explicitly said. He said, Pascal said, quote, Maybe it doesn't sound like it should be so important, snacks and things, but discovering all of that and just getting to live in such a diverse place, it kind of let me take my guard down and just be me. It was like, okay, if so many people somewhere are foreign, maybe you're not feeling as foreign in that place. And um, that's such a beautiful sentiment, man. And I think it's exactly the reason I, you know, I love Toronto. I mean, I think... (laughs) In many ways, Toronto peaked in 2019, not just the championship. You know, lunch was $10. Bus fare was under $3, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I, I also just feel like that is the prevailing feeling for me of loving Toronto. Is, like, you do feel... It's not a utopia. It's always kind of, like, maybe suggested that way. It's not yeah, a utopia. I mean, if you love a place, you always want it to be better anyway. That's- exactly. But, you know, just like in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, you're not allowed to uh, hate a place unless you love it first. And I truly love Toronto for this exact reason, I, I have such a hard time expressing that value to people of how nice it is to come here and just feel a little bit less foreign. And yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that Pascal was able to share that experience. Like he understands Toronto. Like to me, that's the number one quality of the city. Yeah. And I, I can't speak to that particular mm-hmm. experience, obviously, but I do think it's something that is really important about the city and really important about the Toronto Raptors, right? Like yes, this, this is a yeah. Raptors team that for predating the Messiah era always has had a focus on you know, and this is mostly a talent thing. It's not, it's a 
you're not going out and getting people because they're from diverse backgrounds. You're going out and trying to field the best basketball team. But this franchise has a rich history of that. First with the European wave of guys that teams weren't really doing yet in the Brian yeah. Colangelo, Mauricio Gerardini era. Yeah. And then obviously with, Masca- with, with Masai being pretty ahead of the curve in terms of scouting and grassroots in Africa. And, and mm. you know, we, we're going to see that continue. There, Masai, one of the things we didn't really get to talk to that he, that he noted the other day was like, yeah, it's intentional that RJ is here and this mm-hmm. is home for him. Like, that's a that's another Dude, when thing he said that's that story about this. how... Because Masai's been GM now, or GM slash president now for 10 years yeah. in Toronto. And even before that, he was in Toronto, but as a like a lower executive, yeah. whatever, scout. Uh, um, he When he mentioned that story of, of Rowan Barrett always bringing his teenage son over to introduce himself to mm-hmm. Masai because he said, this kid's going to be special. By the way, uh, Rowan was definitely right. Like, RJ was literally number one prospect in the country and yeah. went number three overall. Um that's that's wild to me, man. That's got to be a wild feeling as Masai, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. You know, he talked about how Jordan Noir, he has a connection to Jordan Noir's dad. He's known Jordan Noir since he was five. Yeah. Um, Noir, who grew up in uh, in Buffalo, by the way, but is Nigerian. His mm-hmm. dad is a big figure yeah. in, in Nigerian basketball. And again, we're kind of back to the, this family element, and it's so much about the relationships mm-hmm. and culturally what basketball means to the people playing it and to yeah. the, the cities that they're they're representing and it's i don't know man it's really cool again i can't speak to pascal or your personal experience mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. with that part of toronto but i think it's very very important and very very cool that the players who have meant so much to this team represent the parts of the city that mean so much to the people who root for this team as well i think there's a, a nice connectedness there mm-hmm. um and like we'll see this doesn't happen you know war is a great example like yeah. that's cool but if he's only here for three months, that probably doesn't matter all that much. It's going to be who the next wave of people are, who mm-hmm. the people who are making connections to the city, to this fan base, to the culture here in Toronto that, you know, it's, it's, and this is a conversation for another day, but it, it feels like it's not impossible, but to replicate what the last 10 years have been like organizationally, culturally, successfully on the court, how much these players have meant to the city and the fans and stuff like that. It's a, it's a long road back, even if you like the pieces and, and where they're at right now. Yeah. So kind of just closes the whole chapter. Next week, we start fresh. We just talk about the young guys and talk about how they're <laughs> growing and see what the games and the matchups look like. Also, they only have like two games next week. How about we yeah. start fresh right now with one of the new guys? You give away a jersey before we take a break and talk to Marquise yes. Noel. Yes, thank you so much. So um, the NBA All-Star game is less than a month away, and you have the chance to vote your favorite Raptors like Scotty Barnes to the All-Star Game in Indianapolis. Today, votes count three times. And Scotty Barnes had like 30 last night and like three re- uh, three steals and three assists or three blocks. Sorry, I don't have the box score up. He had a great game yesterday. That's my point. Um, you should vote uh, for him because it counts three times today. Go to the NBA.com uh, or NBA app to cast that vote for Scotty Barnes to celebrate All-Star voting. We are giving away a signed Scotty Barnes jersey to enter for your chance to win text. Today's code word, vote. To 59590. Again, the code word is vote. Texas into 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win a signed Scotty Barnes jersey. Yeah, and also coaches send Scotty Barnes. You know that you you have the most important vote. You're the ones who are going to determine if Scotty's going to go to the All Star game ultimately. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I hope Billy Donovan looked at last night's game and was really impressed. So yeah, you you'd hope. I don't so. know how you couldn't be really. Yeah, it, look, it was really impressive, and I, I hope the coaches will do that. We know that they tend to sort by standings and go down that way. So Blame. I'm a little skeptical that'll happen, even though I think he deserves it. Someone who is going to be at All-Star Weekend, though, is Marquise Noel. He is second right now in mm, G nice. League Next Up All-Star voting. So he slipped from first to second here, but he's got a really, really good chance, uh, and he deserves to represent Raptors 905 there you go. and the G League in Indiana. We're going to take a break. 
Marquise Noel is going to join us on the other side. All right. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Will Lou alongside me. Uh, he'll tag out for this Marquise Noel interview, and then we'll we'll talk to Will again before we head into the weekend. Uh, we've talked a lot about Scotty Barnes and his All Star candidacy, giving away a signed jersey through, throughout the week on the show. Uh, also, All Star weekend though. So so Sunday, February 18th, the day of the All Star game, at 1:30 in the afternoon. There will be uh, G League Park in the NBA crossover at Indiana Convention Center convoluted name but there's going to be what's called the nba g league next up game uh there'll be 28 g league players involved in that game including 10 selected by fan vote that fan voting goes until uh tuesday at midnight you can go to nbagleaguecom slash vote uh to vote for which 10 g leaguers you want in that game there is a real raptors 905 presence uh in the top two I will say uh, Marquise Noel, the point guard for Raptors 905, who's having a, a tremendous season down there, averaging 16 points, three rebounds, nine assists, two steals, um, really, really helping the 905 out, especially since he's come back from a, an earlier season rib injury. He was number one for a while. Now number one is Ashton Haggins, who is actually a former Raptors 905 player. Uh, Raptors 905 fans need to make sure that this devote doesn't end up th- this way, that it's not a former 905er at number one, that it's a current 905er in Marquise Noel, uh, Treble and Queen, Scalabissier, uh, Trevion Graham, Luca Garza, Amoni Bates. Uh, so there are, and Mac McClung, who's going to be in the dunk contest, a handful of names you might recognize in that top 10. Uh, but it's Marquise Noel at number two. It's Marquise Noel who needs to be number one. You've got till Tuesday to vote, nbagleague.com slash vote. Marquise Noel of Raptors 905 joins us now. Marquise, what's up, man? What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, thank man. you for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time out. I uh, got to ask, man. So you're number two in this G League All-Star voting. You were number one. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're going to get number one back. Um, what does that mean to you? Like, like I, I know you have a big following coming here, but now to see, you know, the Raptors fans and the 905 fans behind you like that as well, how much has that meant to you? It means a lot to me. I mean, to, to know that my supporters are going hard for me um, and are really serious about voting and seeing me, you know, in the G League next up game. Um, it just makes me proud, man. You know, I just want to have fun and put on a show for them when I do uh, get to the G League next up game. Uh, man, you, your game, you got to feel like your game is suited for all-star environment, right? Like, I, I know you've, you, you're a, a basketball player, NCAA and a pro-level basketball player, but that game translates well to a, a free-flowing all-star style, right? You looking forward to that part? Yeah, for sure, man. I love all-star games because I get to be more entertaining in a sense. Um, And that's the environment that I grew up playing in, you know, being from New York City and playing in the Rucker Parks and the Dykemans. Um, So, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super, super um, ready for, for that game. Um, So you do have that New York following, obviously, like we, we notice here in Toronto right away. Like you've got the fan base built in the Twitter following and things like that. Um, How, how much of this do you think, obviously the Toronto fan base has embraced you as well. um, But that New York fan base that you carry with you everywhere, you think that's a big part of making sure you're in that all-star game as well? Most definitely. I mean, my New York fans, you know, 
are with me through every part of my journey. And they see me from when I was a little kid to now in the NBA. Um, so they'll always be there. But Toronto fans are showing out too, man. You know, you got to gotta thank them for that. Um, I see them in the comments. I see them showing up to the games with their jerseys. So, you know, I, I got the best of both worlds, really. If you do, I mean, you will make that game at this point. You're not going to fall from from number two out of the top ten here. You're, you're going to be there in Indianapolis. Um, and, and look, we can call it the G League next up game. It is a fan vote, but it's all-star game. It means you're one of the very best players in the G League right now this season. W- what does that side of things mean to you? I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, being in the G League and knowing that you are one of the best, you know, top ten players in this league, um, you got to look at it. Guys like Jordan Poole and guys like Pascal Siakam played in this league. Um, and to know that, you know, I'm next up, I'm up and coming. It's just a testament to my hard work and belief in myself. So. You mentioned Pascal there. Obviously, he was traded this week from the Raptors. Um, Fred Van Vliet, who you didn't cross paths with, but another guy who used the G League as an undrafted guy to carve out a really, really good all-star caliber NBA career. When you entered the season, signed a two-way with the Raptors, headed down to the G League, how much did you look at and even pick the brains of guys like that who had who had followed that same path, G League, before they had the NBA success? Um, man, I asked a ton of questions, and Fred is a guy who who was there whenever I needed to to know something or when I wanted to ask him a question. And Pascal, I've seen his day to day work. I've seen how hard he worked, you know, before practice and after practice. So just picking up little clues and tips from them was very helpful. And, you know, I just try to implement that in my lifestyle, my game on today. Out of curiosity, so Fred wasn't with the Raptors at the same time as you, but how how has that relationship come about? Is that just the kind of the brotherhood of point guards kind of thing? Yeah, it's like the brotherhood of undersized guards. You know? <laughs> uh, Jose Alvarado actually, you know, put us two, you know, together. And he's been a big brother ever since. So, you know, I'm very thankful for for both of them, Jose and Fred, for just wanting to share insight on how to make it in the NBA and how to survive. And, you know, just telling me it's a long journey, but just keep working and figure yourself out. Yeah, you you guys have a little collect. I know you said undersized, but it's also some of the best steel guys in the league, right? All you guys with the with the hands getting in, in underneath, guys. Um, that's a, that's a fun trend there um so this year with the 905 you you are headed you know very very likely headed to the all-star game you've had an all-star caliber season Uh, i read the stats out earlier 16 points nine assists two steals a game um where have you felt the growth in your game this season um the growth in my game really is my three-point shooting um and my defense you know I've, i've i've been tested many times you know against taller players in the nba i feel like i really Stood, stood up um, and really defended really well against some of the guys. And my leadership, I feel like even though, you know, the 9 of 5 is not where we want to be, I feel like I'm trying to do a good job of making the right play at the right time and getting guys on the same page because, you know, the G League could be different at times. And I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, we have the right habits um, and we have a winning mindset. 
obviously that's a huge part of your role there in addition to, you know, the scoring and the passing and things like that. And that's, you know, everyone down at the 905 raves about the job you've done from a leadership perspective. How challenging has it been for you guys to deal with so many injuries, to have so many guys in and out? Like I, I, I've been around the G League enough to know that you're going to have guys come on and off the roster and things like that. But you guys have played so many games, like eight players healthy, emergency players on the roster. You've dealt with your own uh, injury with the rib issue earlier. How challenging has that been for you guys? Um, it's been it's been difficult, but I feel like we we have adjusted very well. Um, we haven't made any complaints for ourselves. Um, and we just had a next up mentality. I mean, we were just trying to win games. Um, it was very unfortunate, you know, having emergency guys come in at the last minute and having to learn a whole system. Um, but, you know, we, we did a good job of sticking things out and staying together. So I'm really proud of my guys for that. How much is that? How much of that? And I know you were out for some of those games, but as the, the lead point guard and a leader on that team, how much of that falls to you to, Hey, Marquise, man, we're, we're going to give you the ball. And these guys don't know the plays. You, you got to just find them some spots. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult task, but God gives, you know, the strongest soldiers, you know, the, the, the toughest roads. And I feel like that's part of the journey. Uh, we all have a journey in our life and, you know, it's going to be up and down. And, you know, I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to grow. And when I seen that, um, I had to reflect on what I could do to become a better basketball player in person. And I understood that if you, if you guys are not together and if we all are from different backgrounds, somebody got to bring, you know, us closer. And I try to do that. And, along with the co-staff and along with guys like Javon. So, you know, we've just been, you know, trying to trying to stick it out, trying to make the best of it, and I feel like we have been so far. Yeah, and, and look, you're getting not healthy, healthy, but you're getting some pieces now. I guess you guys started the click with Jonte, and then Jonte gets this, uh, <laughs> this NBA opportunity. How is that for you guys? Like, obviously that hurts the 905 day-to-day, but that's a guy contributing to the NBA Raptors now that was just with you guys. That's got to be pretty pretty motivating for you guys to see right yeah for sure i mean shout out to jante for getting that opportunity and being ready when his opportunity was called um that's the that's the lead though for you you one day you might not have a job and the next day you might be starting and jante you know put in the work um and when his number was called um he's he's, he's doing really well for himself so uh, another change you guys are going to have tomorrow, and I don't know if you got to see him at, at practice today, but uh, Kyra Lewis is down there now. You guys saw him a little, just a, just a couple days ago, actually, with, with the squadron. Um, I guess, first of all, like, I, I know he had the ACL tear and stuff, but at one point, he was like the fastest guy in the league, certainly in the G League. Um, is he faster than you? You guys got to sort that out or what? Um, I don't know. Kyra is pretty fast. I mean... That's on everybody's scouting report. Um, got to see him yesterday. Uh, we worked out together. You know, we, we we got acclimated with one another. And, you know, we competed against one another. So the respect is there. And, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, what, what he does um, tomorrow and how, you know, fast he is. You know? I'm excited to pitch the ball ahead to him and let him go. <laughs> uh, you guys tomorrow, so that's a 2 p.m. game at Paramount Five Food Center in Mississauga. Uh, you'll be there. Cairo will be down there. Javon's back with you guys. Um, when you have, and I know Javon's more more of a combo and, and part of his development is playing more of an initiator role at times. 
you guys kind of have three guards down there. How, how much is that going to change things for you guys, and does it change your role at all much? Um, I feel like it's not going to change much um, in a negative sense, but instead it's going to give us a ton of confidence to go out there and play fast and, you know, play freely. We got three great ball handlers and people who could create for themselves. And, you know, we got a bunch of guys on the, on the court and off the court who, who are, who are going to put us in a position to win. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Um, it's going to be an adjustment as far as getting that chemistry. But, man, it's going to be one of the fastest, you know, teams that you've seen in the minute. Yeah, it's going to be a, a lot to keep up with for, for defenses. Um, Marquise, back to your individual game. You mentioned earlier that in addition to the defense, the three-point shooting has been something where you've seen your growth. You're shooting 39.7% on threes uh, this year. W- when you sat down with the Raptors, you know, I, I know they signed you on draft night. So so on draft, you got scooped up right away. In your conversations with them, not that you were a bad shooter in college, you shot like 35% on threes over your five years in college, but how much of those conversations with the Raptors were about, Hey, if you're, if you're going to make it to the next level, that's got to be a, a big, big weapon in your game. Yeah. We talk, we talk about that a lot. I mean, the main priority right now is defense on um, picking guys up 94 feet and just making a loud miserable out there on the court and then stretching the floor. Uh, that's a big part of today's NBA game is you got to be able to shoot the three and um, my personal development people like uh, Coach Mary and Coach Fortune and Coach Darko, um, they all they always tell me, man, you just got to keep shooting that three ball how you're doing and keep growing. And, you know, I'm doing it so far, um, but I just want to keep building it as time goes. On the defensive side, um, you, you obviously can't change the, the size that you are, but what goes into you becoming a, a better defender on, on that side of the floor? I mean, the steals are what they are. I watch the games. You're obviously, you know, positionally sound and things like that. But what can you work on or, or what do they have you working on um, to kind of, I guess, make up for the fact that you will be the smaller person in your matchup most of the time? Um, picking up 94 feet. I mean, you see guys like Jose Alvarado, um, and I harp on him because that's like my brother, big brother. And you know, uh, when you're an undersized guard, you gotta you gotta play defense before the point guard gets across half court. And I feel like that saves us a lot of um, time. That saves us a lot of energy um, because we we just gonna knack at the ball. We're gonna swipe at the ball. We're gonna foul sometimes. And you know, we're gonna play with a lot of energy and a lot of heart. And um, for me, I feel like I just have to continue to keep doing what I'm doing in games. Um, I feel like I'm getting better and better, and I'm adjusting to the NBA you know, game. So, Marquise, you have gotten briefly into an NBA game this season. Um, obviously, you're, you're waiting on you know a bigger opportunity here. There's some stuff you can't control here. How much do you find yourself, though, you know, keep an eye not only on the Raptors' performance, but, like, yeah, trade stuff happens, and maybe the roster could trade. Like, how 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 are you kind of tracking when your opportunity might come? Um, I'm just staying focused each and every day because uh, you never know what, what can happen um, with trades that's going on right now. And I feel like if getting better is your habit and you make it a day-to-day day that, when your opportunity is called, 
you're already ready. You know, I keep a mindset of stay ready so you don't got to get ready. Um, and, you know, when my opportunity is called, whether that be this year or next year, um, I'll be ready for it. Okay, that that was going to be my next question. I know where your confidence level is, though. I, I've talked to you before. I've seen the quotes. I, I know you're a confident guy. Um, let's let's play out that scenario. Let's say I don't know Monday, the Raptors call and they're like Marquise Noel, we need you. You're going to play. What what could fans expect from you? What could the team expect from you to step in and do right now? Uh, play with a ton of passion. Play hard. Um, I'm gonna give it my all. Uh, however that looks, that may be diving into stands that may be you know picking people up 94 feet i mean whatever window of opportunity that i have um i'm gonna make it you know last and i'm gonna make my impression pretty good and, and i'm just gonna have fun i don't put too much pressure on myself i mean it's still a it's still a kid's game um and that's how i like to look at it you know I mean, it's, it's, it's basketball at the end of the day it's, it's what i love to do uh, the February 18th uh, G League next up game will definitely be more of a kid's game, be a free-flowing all-star style. This doesn't have to be a guy in the G League, but I'm curious. In an all-star environment, in a Rucker Park environment, do you have a dream lob partner? Like, if you could throw an alley-oop to anyone in basketball, who's, like, number one on the list for you? Can it be Pat? I don't – yeah, pick whatever, man. Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Okay. For sure. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good two pick. I wondered if maybe you'd pick Wemby just because we'd then have you know the tallest player in the league and uh, you know be a be a fun connection there. But yeah, you can't go wrong with MJ and LeBron. Yeah, Wemby would be. I mean, I don't have to do much. I just go <laughs> right to the rim. He's he gonna finish the rest. But definitely Wemby and Zion. Nice. Uh, I hope you get to do those. Uh, I'm sure Alvarado's told you what it's like to try to throw Zion uh, <laughs> an alley-oop. Uh, looking forward to you getting those chances. Looking forward to seeing you in that that NBA uh, G League next up game. Marquise, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Good luck tomorrow with the 905. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me, man. Thank you. Marquise Noel, Raptors 905 point guard. Second right now in all-star voting for the G League next up game. Got to get him to number one. Go to NBA G League dot com slash vote and again that 905 game is uh 2 p.m tomorrow it's the first of a four game homestand so i think you'll see a little bit of marquise noel javon freeman liberty back down there kyra lewis jr's down there a little surprise grady dick isn't back down there but the raptors on a one game trip maybe we'll see some up and down mm. over the next little bit 905 uh you know the wins haven't come quite at the level they like but we're at least seeing a lot of the individual progression that you you'd hope to see from some of these developmental guys um, you know, not a lot of opportunity yet for anyone other than Jonte, but it's coming, man. And Marquise is a ton of fun. Will Lou, you're back. Yeah. First off, uh, great interview. Um, loved hearing Marquise's confidence. You got a real quiet confidence about him. Yeah. Learned a lot more. Definitely very curious about this brotherhood of undersized guards uh, of him yeah. and Jose Alvarado and Fred Van Vliet. This is, man, Jonte came on with us. So I was like, oh, I got to do a Jonte feature focused specifically on this. Yeah, and then Marquise yeah, yeah. comes on. And I'm like, I got to get Fred and Jose yes. Alvarado on the phone like now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like seriously, I- I'd love to hear about these small guards just like rallying against the system of six to eight forwards and seven footers and this league now, which has Wemby at seven foot five and the freaky arms, the Chet Holmgren, like, no, like, everyone's going to start doing the, the Kyle Lowry now climbing under the legs of guys. I, I wonder if Kyle was like a big part of this, this brotherhood as yeah, well. I mean, I he's doubt, not quite I doubt he'll small. say yes to getting on the phone with me for this story, but, but Fred and Jose oh, wow. probably will. Wow. 
Um, yeah, by the way, at the arena yesterday, Demar also gave me a little uh, tap on the shoulder. And I was like, damn. So I, I got a what up, what up, Lou, from from uh, Kyle Larry last week. And now I get a little uh, love from Demar as well. I just... What damn. up, Lou? What that was that was cool, man. I, I told him welcome home. Yeah, you need the soundbite of "What up, Lou?" and pair it with "Will who?" Oh, I thought you were gonna be like, "Oh, the what up, Beck?" Uh, oh yeah, that nah, too. Not, not quite. Maybe not on the same level. Um, uh, a couple other takeaways from yeah, that, yeah. though. This idea of him throwing a lot to Wemby, like I, now I need to see them recreate the the Muggsy Bogues Bogues yeah. the new bowl one. Yeah, with the three basketballs in between. Yeah. yeah, it'd be cool, except, yeah, I, I didn't... That's a hard question to ask because I don't want to be like, hey, man, you're short and Wemby's tall. Ah, but it, it would be like, dude. it would be very cool to have the smallest player in the league because Marquise is technically in the league. He's on a two-way. He's throw probably a lob it, to the Throw a lob to the tallest. Is Wemby the tallest? Is Boba taller than Wemby? I forget the where it exactly comes down, but close enough. Some people swear Wemby's 7'5", but he says he's 7'3". Okay. Yeah. Is this like a KD thing where he's like, no, nah, I'm 6'11". Don't call me a 7-footer. <laughs> don't call me 7'4". Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone on don't don't call me five eleven. I'm six feet. Um all right. Yeah, you know that struggle, Blake. Oh, so I I'm five ten. I admit I'm five ten. Okay, okay. All right, There's all right. no it's, it's all good. It's you not, can't all be six two like me. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, we can't Sorry. all um, oh, what am I even doing this for? Okay. It's so vain. As we head into the weekend here, uh we only got a couple minutes left. But the Raptors will play the Knicks tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I'm excited, man. Jokes aside about bad links. Um <laughs> look, OG's gonna get to play against the Raptors yeah, again. Yeah, he yeah. has played they just played three games in four nights. Uh-huh. He played 127 minutes mm-hmm. over those three games in four nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was kind of a quote from uh, Tom Thibodeau asked, like, how do you know he's comfortable with that? Or, and he's like, well, he, he played in Toronto. Um, I don't have a question for you. I just thought it was pretty funny look. to hear Thibodeau be like, hey, I'm not the only Thibodeau. It is funny, mostly because there became a meme that went around of people calling Nick, Nick Thibodeau, like Nick Nurse, they were calling him Nick Thibodeau for how much he's using his players. So I, I like when the meme actually gets acknowledged by the people involved in that meme. Uh, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing like what kind of reception RJ gets, what kind of reception quickly gets. They were like players that the Knicks like drafted and grew. And I know there's always frustration with young players because, you know, they're not all perfect right away. Nobody really is, even older players. But, you know, I'm sure they're guys that, New York fans should feel really proud of. And I think it's gonna be a really cool moment for them to get to go back and, um, you know, you know, just get that kind of love because, you know, you get to see OG again against the Raptors as well. I love that Scotty was like, someone asked him, I was like, hey, you know, what do you think about going against OG? And he's like, man, I'm not worried about all that. <laughs> so I would love to see Scotty go at OG, his good friend. And, um, yeah, that'll be, that'll yeah. be a fun matchup. I guess it's be a fun what, matchup, where, what really helps in these times too is like, Quickly going against Brunson. Yeah. You know. The Knicks are eight and two since the trade. Like, oh, yeah. They're, if they're there was well. going to be, like, it's easy to welcome quickly and RJ back as Knicks fans. I think one, because, mm-hmm. you know, especially quickly was really well liked there. RJ, you know, was up and down as a young player who, you know, has developmental ups and downs tends to be. But yeah, if they had gone five and five since the trade, maybe it's not as warm a reception. But everyone's happy with this. Man. Oh, they're, yeah, eight, yeah. they're eight and two. The Raptors are going in a different direction and they're not winning as much, but it's, it's still everyone. The clarity of purpose there is important. Everyone's happy with how this one's shaking. Every, every loves a, everyone loves a win-win, you know? And, and honestly, I think maybe it's just because we're in this uh, more sentimental space this week in particular because of all the exits and whatever. But it's part of the exit is you get to see these guys, like, say hello and, and get back to them again. And it'll be really fun to see OG again. Like, it's not going to be fun when OG shuts down yeah. our, our players, but it'll be fun to see OG again. Uh, it'll be fun to see Precious again, Malachi again. 
You know, I feel like we have forgot about oh, those. Being I, on the other side, way, being I, on the other side of a precious game. Oh, yo, um, that's the number one reason to tune in to Saturday's game. Also, in addition to Raptors Knicks, just a reminder: yeah. uh, we did at Sportsnet pick up Pacers Blazers tonight. So ten o'clock, Pascal's yeah. likely debut with the Pacers is on Sportsnet. Yeah, that's right. If you spend Friday nights watching the Indiana Pacers. Usually be, you're watching the Raptors. It'll be, it'll be it's two, a rare it'll be Friday night off for the Raptors. I will probably be there as well. So thanks everyone for listening to the Raptors show. I've been your host, Willu. Uh, make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Big thanks to Blake Murphy, Mark Brothel, Danielle Franceschi, our producer, Derek Brandale, Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, Jeremy Anitad, helping behind the scenes. See you guys next week.